Hi, everybody. Welcome to a very special Prague Report Top 5 episode. We haven't done one of these in a little while, but I think we've been saving up for something really special. Uh, we have Mr. Trevor Rabin as our special guest here for a Top 5 Trevor Rabin episode. So Great. welcome, uh, Mr. Rabin, Trevor, <laughs> for being Lovely here. And, be and of, thank you, man. And, uh, and of course, I mean, this worked out really well because... Uh, Nick is from Johannesburg, where you are from as well, and uh, so who other than him to be on here uh, to do this with us? So uh, we call him Prog Nick, actually. That's how proggy he is. He has it in his name. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I better and... watch myself. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, uh, uh, hello, everybody. Yeah. Wanted so, um, I, I mean, look, Nick and I go, go back a long way with music from your career uh you know your solo career your stuff with yes your your soundtrack work all that stuff we're really big fans um and uh thrilled to death that you're back with a new solo record and we've heard it and it's amazing and we're happy to talk about it rio which comes out on october 6th on inside out and sony and uh it's awesome can't wait for people to hear the whole thing it's it's amazing well thank you so much it's a great compliment thank you and uh and i should point out i did get a chance to uh, help write the some of the liner notes for the record. We spoke uh, a little while back, and so yeah, we did. We did. Yes. I mean, just the honor of a lifetime for me. I have to tell you that again, but I'm sure I told you that many times already. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, let's go ahead and and talk a little bit about uh, about the record, and for people that aren't aware, that don't know the story behind it, and and a little bit like that. Um, you know, it's your first vocal solo album, uh, solo album with vocals, I should say, in, in 34 years since Can't Look Away, which is amazing. Uh, and right. Of course, you had Jack Aranda, which is a, a instrumental record. Um, you know, talk about the reasons behind finally making this record or having the time to make this record and, and how it all happened. Right. Well, you know, in 94, when I, I started doing film scores around that area, um, I, I, I was very lucky. I got into it and I, there was, uh, luckily for me, there was no kind of apprenticing or anything like that. I started almost, well, not almost, but immediately doing a feature film, which was a Steven Seagal movie, actually. And then my third movie was uh, Con Air with Jerry Brockheimer. And I had thought, you know, I'll be doing movies for, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm really enjoying it and working with the old orchestra. And it's, it's, it's like, it's memories from the past as well, you know. Um, but then after the fourth uh, movie or so, uh, where I thought I was going to get back to doing, being in the rock world, uh, it just kind of took off. And now I look at that period, and as you say, 30 odd years ago, um, I think, where did that time go? It's, it's 30 plus years. And uh, I look back and it doesn't, I, it feels like Con Air was yesterday, but yeah. You know, but then I look back and I see there's 50 odd movies, plus a whole lot of TV stuff and sports things. What, um, and uh, so I have to say that although it looks like why did I spend 34 years not doing that? It's just what I spent 34 years or uh, doing that led to just this frenetic pace which never stopped uh, until 2012 around there where. I, I did Jacaranda, which was a great release for me, you know, just freedom from any parameters tying you down in any way, um, which was just such a lot of fun. And thereafter, it was 
And I, to be honest, right from the start, from the first day of doing, I, I had always, it was always something I was going to do, even when I did Jacaranda. It was, well, you know, the next thing's I must do an album with uh, vocals and more rock based. Uh, and uh, so eventually it happened, but it's not through uh, lack of want. You know, I really <laughs> right. have wanted to do it for a while. while. So, so when did you finally start? writing the songs where you said where, where you noticed it was starting to happen that, that you're getting a collection of songs together well it's quite funny you know even with film um my wife and i would go out for dinner and she'd look at me in the middle of dinner and say she'd be talking to me and then she'd say you're not listening to me <laughs> and she 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 got it immediately and it was true. And she said, you want a piece of paper? And, and sure enough, I <laughs> scribbled down five lines and start writing some things over it. So, yeah, it, uh, you know, more and more, as opposed to uh, great ideas for film themes and orchestral themes or, or just melodies on a dobro, even whatever it might be, um, it started turning into ideas for songs. One of the early ideas was on the song Oklahoma. You know, coming from South Africa, I had um, come to America and uh, it was was enjoying it. And and then this bombing happened and it's like, oh Jesus, that's, that's uh, takes, you know, the Oklahoma bombing. Right. Uh, it, it really had an effect on me. And I just thought about this place, a very young country suddenly you know, naivety leaving for a while. Oops, there I'm, I'm moving. <laughs> and uh, that led to me getting some ideas um, lyrically for for a piece of music. And I didn't know where, what, or when, but I just had this idea. But at the time, it was so early. Um, and I thought, I'm not going to, you know, commercially exploit this horrible situation of so many people have suffered through and are suffering through. Uh, so I never did anything except I had these ideas. And I think that was the first thing that came to mind in doing the album was pretty much was Oklahoma. It wasn't the first thing I worked on, but um, it, it, right from the start, that was it was something I was going to do on this album because now it's a, a historical event as opposed to, it, uh, you know, uh, uh, present uh, trauma to the country yeah Tre trevor you've mentioned oklahoma um and i don't want to give too much away about the album but firstly let, let me start off by saying to you how immensely proud we are of you obviously and uh, i'm sitting here with a great big smile on my face this is really my favorite interview to do um, um oh, nick thank you so much you know how, how proud of you South Africa is. And I just want to say that uh, I've had the privilege of listening to the album and reviewing it for, for the Prague Report. And uh, it's it's just astounding. Um, and Oklahoma is just one of those very special moments. But the album does take you to many, many other different places. In fact, a myriad of places. It's It's got some chicken picking country moments on it. And it's got some real good old classic frog. It's got some orchestral moments, uh, a cappella melody harmony moments. And it's just it's just possibly one of the most varied products 
I think that 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 you've produced. Um, so I just wanted to ask you about that myriad of styles and ideas. Was it a kind of an anything goes approach, or or did you have that as a as a stated goal? Um, anything goes, I think, is 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 one of the descriptions. But I think the other one was, um, you know, in South Africa, I, I used to be a session player in South Africa, and in those days of session playing, and I, you know, I. I did tons of sessions for Mutt Langer, who was also uh, a, a tremendous producer, even before he became this icon kind of guy. Right. And we're still in touch. I love Mutt. But, you know, you, you would do sessions in South Africa and you would go from playing um, a country song to um, a, a poppy song. And, and then you would do what's called Springbok hits, where you would do in everyone's songs, facsimiles for the record company. And uh, I became really uh, fond of some of these incredible country players. I, I don't know what, if you know what the B-Bander is. No. I'm a drummer. <laughs> yeah, so okay. we know nothing. So okay. The B-Bander is something that is most uh, is attached. It's a whole mechanism attached to a Telecaster. And it works by literally the B-string. You can bend the B-string up. Uh, to whatever you want to, to tune it to. I tune it to a whole tone and you, you, you change that note by pulling the, pulling down on the strap. And so you can play country stuff, you know, in the similar way that you would use a pedal steel. And I used to do some pedal steel sessions in South Africa. So I just became completely enamored with the, the, what's called the B bender. And that what led that's what led to saying I, I got to do one of these tracks, and that was led to Goodbye, which is clearly not a um, a prog rock song, but uh, and and just yeah, the idea of uh, anything goes was I'm going to do what I want to do, but I was very cognizant uh, with producer Kappa of doing something that made sure that it was all tied together and somehow sounded like it was coming from exactly the same place and, and having the album flow properly was uh, something I concentrated on a lot. So did you demo it first song by song or did you go straight to tape? You know, I, uh, you know, the, uh, as, as I'm sure, you know, the old days of 24 track tape, the band would come in and play and, and then at the end of recording everything, they pull the faders down and say, okay, now we're going to mix and you start again. That's not the case with how I work now. I start off um, and everything is, you're kind of semi-mixing everything as you go. Although it's a bit like a jigsaw puzzle because if something changes at the end, you kind of have to remix it all, you know. You, ca you can't try and make a jigsaw puzzle work by changing the last piece. Um, but yeah, you're kind of pre-mixing as you go but then in the end, it's uh, it's even more tedious than the old way of mixing, but um, far more satisfying in some ways. Oh, well, I mean, I, I could talk about this recording process all all day. I mean, if you if you want me to take up the time, I can. But um, I'll <laughs> hand over to you there. Okay. Um, you know what? Let's go ahead and get started with the top five uh, stuff, and then we'll interject. Oh, oh more no! Oh this. no! Then I do have one question. Then, okay. I, then I do. Okay. Have okay. One go question. ahead. Come on. You got. You got to give me this. 
So obviously, Trevor, um, the South African connection is a is a, a strong one. It's there, and the pride, of course, is as I said, very much there. The album, um, and I don't want to give too much away, but the album has a lot of topics dealing with South Africa, including, if I can mention this, uh, a song called Igoli, which yes. is which is the vernacular name for Johannesburg. Right. Um, so I, I just obviously as a as a South African, I wanted to ask you how important it is for you to be singing about your homeland, things that are going on here. Um, uh, tell us about that. Well, I think I've been doing it. I've, I've always been uh, pretty cognizant of not not wanting to appear to be preachy with lyrics, because, uh, you know, who am I as a musician to do it as opposed to some great philosopher or political um philosopher but i guess as much as a two-year-old kid you know if you're talking about heart um anyway most importantly um i think i've i've have been commenting uh, can't look away the song can't look away was about uh I, it was during apartheid although it was coming to an end um and uh, then as you as you mentioned the ellis park thing which i did uh, and uh, was lucky enough because of that, to meet with Mandela. Um, and he became, I mean, he always was, but was such an icon. And I mean, I think Respect is one of the great leaders ever. Um, um, so, and then Sorrow was a song about a guy who gets married, but uh, a guy who has a relationship, but he, he can't live with his wife. And when they have a kid, the wife has to go live with the mother for all reasons dealing with apartheid. And um, and then on this album, Migoli uh, is talking about, you know, now we've gone through that. We've gone through the glorious change with Mandela. And then since then, um, you know, the, the current situation, it's almost a kleptocracy, you know, from looking from afar. I mean, Derek always corrects me and says, no, that's not how it is. And blah, blah, you know, he's always correcting me. Oh, sorry, I keep I must keep the picture in, in place. But uh, so that was just a comment on, um, yeah, on, on the situation on that song, specifically about Johannesburg and, uh, you know, being, st being stopped uh, in the street and what did I do wrong? Well, there's a couple of things, but... If you want to go, we can take care of it quickly. <laughs> From those little moments to the bigger picture. Yeah, Absolutely. it's it's great. I mean, all, the different styles. I think the lyrics match with the different styles of the of all the songs as well. And it's it's just a really, um, it's an adventurous record. It's it's really great. So again, October six, Rio. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go into a top five of uh, Trevor Rabin related songs. Um, and uh, we didn't discuss them beforehand, which is always part of how we do this stuff. Uh, so we'll go with uh, our each of our fifth picks, our fourth picks, and down the line like that. And uh, if we repeat some choices, it's all good. Um, so uh, Trevor, we always give our guests the honor of going first. So what would be your your first pick or your fifth choice for one of the songs that you want to want to bring up? Um, I'd say in no specific order, uh, the song I wrote for Yes on the last album. Um, called uh, Endless Dream yeah, was awesome. a, a, one I enjoyed writing and then playing it live. Uh, and sadly, my last tour with Chris Squire um, was uh, one of my one of my favorites. Yeah, 
that was one of that was like the big uh, uh, epic uh, classic you know long song type of type of thing on that record which was awesome on the talk album yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, actually yeah. I saw that talk tour and I think was that the tour where you guys uh, told people they could listen also on headphones or something to get yeah to- in fa- in fact I think the first um, I, was it in the round I, don't, I can't remember. There was some in the round. I'm, I can't really remember, but we provided uh, uh, with the head. Yeah, the first four rows, I think, had headphones. And then as it went further down in the auditorium, it was uh, I, I, a kind of quasi 5.1 yeah. sound system. Yeah, It was a feeble attempt of mine, but I tried. <laughs> <laughs> it was cool at the time. Love that song. Great album, too. All right, uh, Nick, what's yours? Number five. Uh, okay, so I will never forget the moment. Look, you got to remember, I grew up living and loving Yes as a kid. It's just who I was. They were my favorite band. Um, and uh, for a while there, I thought they'd gone away. And I thought it was over. Punk was happening. All kinds of different stuff was happening. And uh, I, I just will never forget the moment when I heard, and I'm going to join two songs into one here because they, they they kind of are presented that way on the album. I'll never forget when I heard Cinema and Leave It, Leave it. for the first time. I was standing at Wits University in Johannesburg, which you'll know, Trevor. Wow, oh, and, yes. And um, uh, uh, my favorite band were back, but it had this very different looking cover and it wasn't the Roger Dean thing. And, uh, right. Uh, oh, okay, but it was Yes. This has to be good. And I'll never forget going back to my res room at Ernest Oppenheimer Hall. At, oh, my at goodness. University. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> you yeah. drop and inside. I have no idea what you're talking and, about, but it's... And, drop, <laughs> and dropping the needle on the vinyl. I mean, I, I bought it across the road at that shop that you know and, and took it straight home and didn't study for that day. I will never forget the moment that I heard those... The, the instrumental of cinema and then those a cappella vocals that start Leave It. I will never forget that moment as long as I live. My favorite band were back. They were back with a vengeance. And not only that, but there was a South African at the helm who did it. And so that makes that moment for me, cinema and leave it, an absolutely historic moment in my personal musical life. So thank well, you for that. Thank you. Two things about that song. Uh, the video, first of all, which was amazing. Do you remember the video, Trevor, with the yeah. floating heads? Yeah, unfortunately, I have to confess that if we're all to be very honest, the band hated it, the video. <laughs> Absolutely hated it. But, you know, it was the MTV era, um, era and, uh, you know, it was kind of gobbled up by MTV and no, actually... No, hit, yeah. Yeah, sure. yeah. Uh, but, but I remember that video like it was yesterday. Uh, it was you... pretty boring doing it, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> right, looked cooler in the the editing uh, afterwards. But uh, 
is it it's probably hard to remember but how, how many vocal parts were recorded for that do you have any any idea yeah i um i remember there were it's 16 um different uh i'm somewhere doubled obviously and tripled in some cases and uh I, you know it was okay chris you're gonna get these doom, 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 the low ones because you have that that boomy thing that you're so good at. And uh, it also, the reason it happened where vocals were done before anything else was because we were trying to get a drum sound in the studio and we couldn't get a drum sound. So it was gonna happen in a different way, but very thankfully I must say that we couldn't get a drum sound. And so the song was pretty much a, 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 um, an acapella song from day one and stuff was added thereafter. Hmm, that is interesting. Yeah, definitely worked yeah. out more unique that way, right? No phone, take your place. You know what I mean. We have the same Okay, I'll go with my number five. I'm going to go to the new record to make sure we talk about that one. Uh, I'm sure you will as well. But uh, I'm going to go with Push as my number five, uh, the second track on the new record. To me, this is like the 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 song I was I was waiting for for the last, I don't know, a, a couple of decades. Like every the minute it starts and you have that your signature guitar sound, and then there's like the signature, you know, vocal harmonies going on. It's like, it is, it is like the blueprint for Trevor Rabin music to me, that song. And the drum performance, Vinny Caliuta plays drums on that track. And uh, talk about that song a little bit, because that's such a, a awesome, awesome track. Well, I guess I should maybe preface it with, by saying that Vinny Caliuta is the, the, the scariest drummer he just so amazing. I mean, he played on Jacaranda. Listen, he's played on everything. Yeah. But he, he played on two tracks on the Jacaranda album. And he's 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 that guy where you don't say anything. You just let him do his things. And then you improve what you had after he's played. Right. Because he adds so much to it that uh, I, I redid all kinds of things because I wanted to, to play with Vinny. And oh, that bass drum hit! I, I got to do that with him. And um, so he—he's just such an extraordinary player. I mean, without getting too technical, um, it's that song is in twelve-eight. The timing of twelve-eight. So, if you were to subdivide it, you've got—you've uh, got four, you've got four threes, or you've got two sixes. And what Vinny does is he in the beginning there's a cowbell kind of sound he uses and he subdivides it into five so you know it doesn't add up so but after a while it does after oh, a wow. number of bars and it's almost impossible to think of doing it with but Vinny does it with feel I don't know how he does it but anyway that's the without getting bogged down in that um that was Vinny was, and it was funny in the in the chorus where uh, it breaks down. Um, 
it but into the chorus. Uh, I sent Vinny a thing. He said, I'm, I've redone the chorus and it's in a weird timing because it goes from, I think it's 10-8 to 11-8 to, to 12-8. And I just sent it to him written down in music. And I said, look, because it was during COVID, so Vinny wasn't even here when he did that track. I sent him this, this stuff. And I spoke to him. I said, does, does this make sense to you? And he said, oh, yeah, it's fine. And, I mean, it could have been, for him, it's like having breakfast. He just did it. Yeah. And it's yeah. it's a very complex time uh, time signature thing. But he just excels at that kind of thing. So, okay, enough about Vinny. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more. Push push is like uh, a a progressive rock tour de force, and I promise you, the prog audience out there, you're going to absolutely love it. Um, and this, this kind of makes the point about about why you love the deeper tracks on Four's uh, Trevor uh, uh, the the four the four Yes albums that Trevor did. Those deeper tracks, you're going to be reminded of that. You're going to get that feeling again, yeah, folks. Absolutely. Oh, um, well, that's great to hear. Yeah. All right. Let's go, uh, Trevor. Your number. Uh, your number four pick. Your next one. Um, I was going to choose push, but I'm going to go elsewhere now. Okay. Um, I'd I'd say um, Tandy is one which is uh, once again it's also based a South African thing, which uh, I, I, Nick, I, I'm sure you're aware of. The Tandy was a rhinoceros who was like a hero rhinoceros, and cut a long story short, it's the lyrics pretty much. Uh, an anti-poaching song about killing all the rhinos off, um, and uh, and the guitar riff I wrote, uh, I, I I wrote that riff to to make it sound angry and have no vocals around it, but to just kind of present a kind of angry yet melodic kind of riff, and uh, not not distorted or anything, but quite a clean sound, and uh, I was very happy with that, and um, yeah, and then the guitar solo on that. I remember my wife walking up. She went for a walk with the dog, and she was about ninety yards away. And that one in particular, I had a Marshall hundred crank, full volume, and I had all the doors open and microphones everywhere. So when she got home, she she was like, "Your doors aren't closed," and I could hear you from the bottom of the road <laughs> because I cranked it so much, and I did the solo make I don't know so many times because not because. I thought the takes were better on three than they were on two or six, but I was just enjoying playing. So, um, um, I, yeah, I'd say Tandy would be one that I was pretty excited that's about. A, that's yeah. a killer song. I mean, that's one of the heavier kind of aggressive tracks on the album. And, and, right. and the riff is just bonkers. I mean, it's, I don't even, I, I've heard it many times. I don't know how you would begin playing that guitar riff. <laughs> that, that guitar solo, 
and this is quite something to say on a Trevor Rayburn album, is is possibly the finest guitar moment on on the album. That, that's saying something, <laughs> you know. That's well, that's that's, that's very kind of you. Um, and it's funny because sound wise, it's not the best guitar sound on the album, but I think I think I would go along with me thinking that as far as just technically playing wise, it's probably the, the, the most demanding thing I did on the record. And it was yeah. just improvised. So there was not much thought that went into it. Although, the, you know, as I said, there were a number of solos. A lot of them are just different. But um, once I came to terms with what I was going to do, I was pretty happy with which one I used. My only sadness is I can't remember which solo I used. One, two, three, four, five, or six. All <laughs> <laughs> the combination great. of both. All right, Nick, what's your next one? All right, so I'm going to go back to one of my favorite songs of all time, which is not Trevor's proggiest song, but it's just got such a straight-ahead, fantastic groove. It's, it's, it's rock as it should be played, it's rock as it should be performed, and it's rock as it should be written. And that is from Big Generator, Love Will Find A Way. I just absolutely love this song. It's it's kind of one of the soundtracks of my youth, I guess. Um, uh, it's it, it's all it's never far away from my CD player. I still have CD players, and um, me, me uh, too. I, 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 I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, I just love that song. It's 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 just one of the best hooks ever written, in my opinion. So those of you who haven't heard it in a while, go listen to it again. Love will find a way. Yeah. Well, that's that's so great for you to to hear that. Uh, I originally wrote that for Stevie Nicks, actually. And no she was I never heard that. Wow. Yeah. And uh, then as I was finishing off the demo, just to send it to Stevie, uh, Alan heard it, Alan White. And uh, he kind of ruffled the feathers and said, you're not giving that to Stevie. And I said, yeah, I am. It's, it, I wrote it. I'll do what I want with it. <laughs> and we had a kind of friendly kind of thing. And he said, look, play to the band to see what happens. And and you can tell by Alan's performance that he liked the song. He's, he's drumming on that. It's just superb. Yeah. For, did it, was it different? Was, was, it, was it sounding different? I mean, did it have the same kind of opening guitar riff around it for, for her? Well, you know, what I did in the beginning of it on, on the Yes record is I actually wrote, a, I think, a string octet mm -hmm. to start it off with, just so I could keep my hand in before I start movie scores, which I wasn't thinking about yet. <laughs> but uh yeah with the, the copy for stevie was just starting with a guitar riff yeah so yeah but it's a, i mean i would say you know the big difference on that song was uh it, it because there's a demo of it on 90124 which was a an album that was put out it wasn't even my idea but just with the demos of 9025 and a couple of other things but alan's drums on that really changed the song into something very open and allowed it to breathe very nicely. So I would think that's one of Alan's, bless his soul, one of his songs he liked a lot. Yeah. 
So my number four, I'm going to stick with that album. I'm going to go uh, Shoot High, Aim Low, um, which is another one of my favorites. Um, I like the back and forth between you and John. And uh, it kind of has a big, big crescendo at the end and, and all that, that lookout stuff and all that going on that song, um, which right. is great. Uh, do you remember working on that one? Yeah, I remember it starting in, in, at a rehearsal. And it actually started with Tony Kay was playing a, drum machine with the dum to dum to dum clack and and alan turned on to that and oh that's pretty cool and then we started playing what turned out to be the chords for the chorus and chris and i just started singing and uh, so within a couple of hours i think we'd written the, the the chorus and then when we went to record it it just developed from then and it was just a building process and it was it was great because we uh, it was recorded in a studio in a castle in Caramati, Italy, and so the drum sound because they were all in this castle. There were these massive kind of ballrooms, um, so we could get as big a drum sound as we wanted. It was so ambient that we actually put the mics really close to the drums because the ambience was so loud. We didn't need to put mics too far away. Uh, so yeah, that's one of the memories of that and. Uh, it was a very, I, I can remember I, I, thinking it, I was, I, when I mixed it, it was a very difficult mix because there were so many elements to, and not, not let it become just overbearing too much stuff. Yeah. Okay, your number three, Trevor. Um, I think my number three would be uh, Can't Look Away from the Can't Look Away album. Yep. And it really just, uh, and I think Lou Molino's drumming on that is superb. Um, and uh, I, was, I was just proud and happy of the song. And and I think that vocal sounded okay. And uh, yeah, it was. it's just one that will be remembered by me. That's some great guitar shredding on that song too. I mean, you really let let it rip on that one. Yeah, that was uh, that was actually Bob Ezrin was the producer, and uh, he kept saying, "Okay, we're going to do the solo now." And he turned it so loud, I said, "Bob, I'm scared to go to the high notes because it's going to rip everyone's head off." But he insisted. <laughs> it's we cranking the, and we stood in the control room together while I did the solo.
That's such a good song. That's killer. Love that. Uh, Nick, wait, where, what's your next Okay, one? so my my next song was going to be I Can't Look Away. Um, and I had a mo whole monologue prepared for it, but uh, I'm, I'm not going to change, if that's okay, Roy, for obvious reasons. Sure. So I'm going to go to the new album, if I may. Um, there's, there's a song which happens to be the closing track on the album, which is called Toxic. Hmm. Now, yes. again... Again, possibly not the froggiest uh, moment or in one way, although when you listen to it a second and a third and a fourth time, uh, it's very layered. And yeah, I was going to say, it's complex. a pretty, pretty odd song also. It's yeah. pretty complex, yeah. but it's a full-on guitar-based tour de force. Uh, it's about poisonous relationships, if, if I'm correct. And yes. it is really one of... It, it's one of the high points on 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 the album because it, it kind of harkens back to your, your blues, rock roots in in your youth uh what, yes. what you used to do before you became more proggy um and yet it still gives a very fresh and somehow absolutely novel feel um the production the sounds um the way you deliver it um and that instrumental break is just something else i mean it's a kind of a boogie shuffle blues shuffle um, right and yet it's prog at the same time so um uh, it, you know it's i think it's a fantastic way for the album to end uh, I won't give away the the very very ultimate ending of the album. People must listen to it to hear that or read the review. But I think Toxic is one of your, one of your finest moments, Trevor, and I think it's 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 fantastic. Well, that's 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 great to hear. I mean, what happened first on that song was actually I'd come up with uh, the groove, um, and I I you know once I'd stuck it down with the bass and the drums, it was okay. This is and I just picked up the guitar and uh, started playing and I did a whole load of soloing and I just thought, well, that was how the song started and then everything developed after then. So it's funny you mentioned the, the guitar and the groove because that's, uh, that's when it started. And then the chorus, um, I, I had that riff and I thought, wow, this is almost like a ZZ Top thing. Um, uh but it, yeah it's it kind of works it's odd and it's peculiar but i i just thought i'm going with it i i'm enjoying it I like throughout the record is that even when a when it could have been like that could have been a regular blues rock song but there's all these little things thrown in there like those weird harmonized vocal uh, that vocal part right in the in the beginning of the song and all these little things that you throw in and that's throughout the album like these these weird kind of things that make it just that much more interesting throughout which I think is is really cool you're the first person who's noticed that the vocals are harmonized in the verses. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, well spotted. Yeah, no, love that. Um, That's why okay. he's the editor. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm I'm so happy to get a chance to talk about this song. Uh, this is one of my all-time favorites, and and I, it's from the Can't Look Away album. I'm gonna go with Promises. Um, I can just tell you that when I was, uh, I don't want to dating myself, I guess, but when I was like 15, I was obsessed with this album and obsessed with this song. I mean, I must have listened to it every day for a year. It, it just hooked with me some for some reason. And uh, I just, it was just had, the, I, I like the way the verses were kind of just mellow with like just, just this ambient keyboard thing, very soft. And then the chorus just, yes. it goes loud and bombastic. And that whole right. thing about it was just super killer. I mean, I'm just, it is, it is one of my all time favorite albums. And that's the song that, I mean, I like all of them, but that's the song that always stuck out with me. What, what stories uh, are, do you have about that one at all? Well, that was a kind of a message in part to my son who was had, had just born in fact right in the beginning of the song before it actually comes in there's a there's a recording of him kind of semi crying or going yeah. with the reverb that's my son yeah mm. so yeah it was I, you know it's funny because i wasn't sure it was going to fit on the album when i f first did it but then when i finished it i said well if, if something has to go because there's no room or whatever the case is, I want promises on. So I was, I was also pretty happy with it when it's when it ended. Okay, uh, back to you. You're number two. Oh, is it my, my turn? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, let me think now. I'm thinking of. Uh, yeah, I, I guess, I guess because big mistakes is is was the first single chosen by the record company. I, I had thought maybe uh, Paradise might be one, but. You know, I deferred to them on what the single could get. You know, I'm very close to the album, obviously. Right. I can't hear it yet. I'll hear it in a year and tell you. Paul, uh, uh, Paul Linford, who worked with me on the album, did a great job mastering it. <clears throat> I said, you know, I'm not sure if the, I think the, I think the ride symbol's not loud enough on the chorus of Toxic. And he said, you've finished the album, let it go. <laughs> I said, good right. point good point yeah um but yeah big mistakes was um you know the idea of big mistakes is you know pretty much talking about my <clears throat> early reckless and uh fun life in johannesburg and the big mistakes you make when you're a teen and early uh early 20s yeah i mean the band i was with at that time rabbit were the pretty naughty people. <laughs> That's funny. No, you know what? It's a great opener so, so to the record. So great Trevor, single. Yeah. 
Trevor, one, one of the Im imagery moments that I had when listening to it was I just thought of Hillbrow back in the 70s. Was so that right? Did I, that's exactly what I was writing about. Dri I wow. remember what, Rob, Ronnie Robot and I were driving along, I can't remember the road, which road it is, but where Fontana used to be. Exactly. Right. And some guy, and we we were stoned, but we were going there probably for a milkshake or something, as you do at one o'clock in the morning at Fontana and Hillborough. And this guy, a big, big guy, <clears throat> uh, what do you call them? Crew cut. Remember the old crew right. cuts? Oh, yeah. He jumped on, he, Ronnie was driving a VW and there's like a, a place to spit your feet and he jumped up on it and he and he said hey how are you doing the window was open and we were driving slowly looking for parking basically and the guy pulled out a gun and so i said to ronnie put your foot down and he did and, that, <laughs> and so that's a moment i i actually thought of that when i was writing with the chorus i literally thought of hillborough well, 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 that's just amazing because that is the image that it conjured in my mind. Wow. Yeah. So, there you go. so it worked. I mean, wow. you, you wrote it. Wow. You, it worked. This this was <laughs> not pre-rehearsed, folks. None of this. That's amazing. It's actually quite amazing to me because they're only, you know, the choruses are just about vague pictures in my mind about what that meant. And uh, Nick, you, you pinpointed one of the specific images I, that was in wow. my head. That's awesome. And I've spoken to I've spoken to Ronnie about it as well, so that's quite amazing. That well, mission cool. accomplished, man. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, one one of the greatest songs ever written and recorded by Yes, in my opinion. Got to go back to 90125. Um, and the, the song is, of course, Changes. Can't ignore it on a list like this. It's yep. it's just such such an epic moment in progressive rock history. Um, it's not only got that uh, unusual time signature, odd timing to it, but it, but it's at the same time with that intro, almost got like a like a an African feel to it with with what you, what you did at the intro there, uh, Trevor. So so yes. I, I think it's a it's 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 a Rabin and yes masterpiece. The, the song changes. Well, thank you. It was one obviously I had. Um... I had in the bag uh, uh, before, yes, and it's just uh, the band breathed new life into it, and it was a really highlight for all of us in in recording the song. The one thing which we all felt <clears throat> and still feel a little disappointed: the very first guitar solo was mixed way too soft. But other than that, we were all very happy. Hmm. Trying to think about that. If I if I remember, think I don't see. We wouldn't have noticed that. But yeah, I think. Uh, I if think you listen that, again, you'll, you'll yeah. You'll I'm gonna, be I'm a... gonna listen for that now and see if yeah. it, if I pick that out. Uh, you know, part of uh, the ARW tours that that you did a few years back with with uh, yes. John and with Rick. I mean, getting a chance to see 
those songs again live uh that was really the the highlights of those shows changes and hold on i mean that those were really like really cool to watch again yeah and you know the exciting this exciting thing about that for me was uh rick playing on the stuff because he didn't go in and learn the parts he did rick on it you know, right. which he gave does. a they whole did new th- different things. Yeah, mm-hmm. he did. did exactly. He did Rick on it, and it was so exciting for me. And I've got to tell you, just 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 sitting there, hearing not only those those classic songs that are that are so important to us all, but as you say, delivered in a slightly different way with Rick's flamboyance and, and yeah. doing the tape thing. And you know, unfortunately he didn't come into the crowd at Denver. I guess there were crowd barriers or whatever, but I know that on, on other shows in the tour he did. Right. And... They walked through the yeah. walked through the audience. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah, that I, was I, so I think cool. I was that one. Okay, well, since you you covered that song, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna jump to a, another one. I'm gonna go back to talk uh, the opening track, the calling, for my number two. Um, another one that I've just always really loved. Uh, I, that album is an underrated masterpiece of an album. I think I think Talk is just amazing from beginning to end, uh, and I love you know that that song. What I've always thought about is, for me, your signature sound and the thing that I always love that I, I've only really heard you do is that guitar sound on stuff that like that opens the calling. That unique kind of clean, slightly yes. distorted guitar, whatever that is that you do there, the minute you heard that from a Yes song, you're like, oh, that's, that's Trevor Raven playing. And I always thought that was great. Plus, it has all those harmonies and great solo performances by everybody. It's a real just powerhouse of a song. Well, it's uh, what I can say about that is, uh, along with Endless Dream, that's my choice of my my favorite moments on the album. Yeah. So, uh, fortunate bookends, you know. Right. What is that guitar sound? That how do you describe that? What is? How do you pull that sound off? Um, it's a you know it's on. I I did a guitar years ago in '85, I think, a signature model guitar for Alvarez, and uh, it's just a great guitar. And there's a certain thing. If you put the pickups out of phase and it gets a bit noisy, so you've got, got to deal with that. But um, it provides a, a sound which is sounds almost transparent. And when you when you put the right reverb on it, it just becomes uh, um, almost um, a mystical kind of sound, but yet still very present. Yeah. It's not droney or anything. No, it's, it's something you don't hear. I don't know. I can't think of other, another guitarist that has that that sound, at least not oh. common to me. I don't know.
Um, okay, Trevor, uh, your last choice, your number one. I think, it, and it's going to be a strange choice, but my last choice would be uh, Through the Tunnel from uh, the Jacaranda album. Okay, sure. Yeah. And once again, largely Vinny's performance is incredible, but um, I really kind of pushed the envelope as far as, you know, a, a certain uh, riffs that are written into it, which I wrote and thought, yeah, oh, that's going to sound good. And then when I did it, it's like, oh, shit, I've got to practice. I can't do this properly yet. So that was kind of demanding, but it was good for me because I got a bit of a workout. Yeah. I, you know, Jacaranda is another album that has, it, it, it goes all sorts of different places. I mean, was that, is that the precursor to, to Rio a little bit? That it, it Very definitely, because once I'd done that, I realized, you know, there's no need to stay in one specific genre and kind of pigeonhole into one thing. Because Jacaranda goes from kind of semi-classical to jazz to uh, jazz rock um, to almost uh, thrash metal in one track I do with Ryan playing drums. Um, and so when I did Rio, uh, it wasn't anything extremely specific that I was thinking this must be the same thing where I don't care about what I'm doing. I must just do what I feel like doing. And uh, which led to, you know, di visiting different genres, but making sure it's encapsulated in, in the same uh, right. rocket. <laughs> yeah. Working with all these uh, uh, different drummers, like like Vinny and um, uh, you know R Ryan, for that matter. Yes. Um, does it does it tend to change the way you play when you get the tracks back from them, Trevor? Oh you... well, yes. As as I mentioned on Push, once Vinny had played on it, I thought, oh boy, I've, I've got I've, I've got to redo this and redo that because it can be so much better because. When Vinny gets it, it's the best I can do with, uh, you know, um, electronic drums. So at least there's something I can play to. But once that was removed and Vinny came onto it, it just becomes a whole different animal and, and in, in the best possible way. I mean, it improved the song immensely. And that, happen that, that happens a lot. It happened with Ryan on Jacaranda once he played on um, called Me and My Boy. Um, he did such an incredible job. I also reapproached more, um, more reapproached the mix than anything else on that one. But and and with Lou as well, he's sure. the great thing with Lou is he does exactly what is needed and ten more ten percent added to it. You know, right? And uh, Mr. Solid is Lou. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Okay, so I guess I guess it's my last one. Now this was known in, in no particular order, and, and now I'm really torn. I mean, do I go with something off Wolf or Can't Look Away or Wolf? My goodness, back, or back to nine hundred one two five? Or what, what do I do? Well, I I was gonna do It Can Happen as my last choice, but 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 I think I'm gonna change that if if I can, Roy. Um, we didn't pick before. Yeah, go ahead. So 
you know, I'm going to go back to to a song that Trevor mentioned earlier, which is which is on the new album. And I, I just got to tell you, this song, Oklahoma, is something very special. Uh, to deal with a subject that tragic and that sensitive, um, to deal with it as a musician and extract just the right amount of emotion um, from a historical uh, terrible pain, terrible pain like that, um, I think can only be done by by a, a true a true musical genius, quite honestly. And but that's exactly what happens with the song. Uh, it, its melody is just astoundingly good, but it is the way it's delivered, the the personal and emotional way in which it's filtered and delivered by Trevor that I think makes it very special. And and it's going to become a classic, I think. It starts off with acoustic guitar, flamboyant and tasteful, yeah. um, but then it develops into something else. And it it's just so utterly melancholy just by using pure emotion that I think it deserves to be on this list. So let me go with Oklahoma. Great choice. Well, that's a great compliment, uh, how, how, how you you know, what you say about the song, because it was very important. I mean, with every song, but that one had to, if it, if it wasn't going to work perfectly, I, I probably would have said, just leave it off, because I, I didn't want to, to do anything which made it less than it should have been. And uh, it's, it's very good to hear, because, you know, as I say, I can't hear the album yet. Uh, I will in, in some time, and hopefully... I feel good about everything. There's going to be always be little things like, oh God, why did I do that? And no, it never goes away. But it's a gorgeous song. I love the whole buildup at the end with the orchestra. I mean, it just sounds massive. And, and yes, certainly, yes. I think your your decades of experience doing soundtracks just comes into play on this song. To me, it, it sounds like it could have been the closing epic to a big, you know, blockbuster movie or something. You know. Um, yeah, I, th I think the album um, benefits from, you know, the, you know, the 15 films I've done with, with orchestra, I think. And and just, you know, the, the mixing stuff and allowing for things to come through, you know, almost like on a play, you, you know, the spotlights go somewhere and then it turns off other people. Uh, too often you hear records where the spotlight's on, but it hasn't turned off the other people. So it's you know it's there's parts that aren't clear enough and i've been certainly guilty of that but uh i think that benefited the mix and the arrangements of of stuff on the album yeah for sure yeah
better. Brilliant, yeah. Sure. Uh, cool. All right, so my last choice. Uh, this was a no-brainer for me. It was always going to be my top choice. Um, just a favorite forever, and I'm going to go. We haven't picked this album yet, but I'm going to go to Union, and I'm going to go Lift Me Up, which is, uh, I mean, just like one of the best songs ever. And uh, love the big, massive drums. Um, the the again that acoustic thing during the verses and and, and the harmonized chorus, just killer stuff. And uh, again, getting to see that song live, I never thought I'd see that song played live again. Um, and so on the ARW was the ultimate thing. So uh, great. And I, I listen, I'm a fan of that album. Uh, but that song is uh, easy number one choice for me. What you know, talk about the origin of that one a little bit. Well, I, I, I don't spend 40 minutes on it, so I'll just give you a <laughs> brief thing. I had written that song with Chris. Uh, Chris and I wrote the basically the chorus together. I had I had the music for it, and then Chris and I did the basically did the backing vocal on the chorus. You know, which uh, was fifth, so it had this kind of almost Gregorian feel to to the vocal, or, or attempted to, and. Uh, but I, you know, once the song had been written, uh, um, you know, with my vocal, um, Clive Davis, out of the blue, I'd never spoken to him in my life. Although I'd sent him a demo of Owner of Lonely Heart" before I signed to Yes, and uh, my letter back from him was, "While we feel your voice has top forty appeal, this song is far too left field for the marketplace to get today." So a couple of years later, I, I sent, I don't even know if he got it, but I sent a photograph of Billboard number one. <laughs> which, nice. um, he's got a pretty good damn track record. He right? does, yeah. Did, didn't you write him a note saying, I told you so, or something like that? I, you know, I must have added something to it, but I think it was enough. Um, maybe I sent the letter back with it. Yeah. A copy yeah, of the letter so. back. I think that's what happened. I, I can't quite remember it. It's, Five thousand years ago, but um, but Jack Clive Clive called me um, and obviously didn't bring up the owner of a lonely heart thing. He'd probably completely forgotten it, or maybe someone at Arista he told to send the letter. He probably listened to two bars and said, "No, here's here's my thought." Who knows? But um, he called me and said, "Look, I'm doing uh, an ARW. Uh, no, sorry, an A." ABWH record. <clears throat> right. And uh, we'd love to hear if you have any songs. So I read that as they don't have a single. Clive's worried. His investment is in trouble. So <clears throat> I don't know why I sent Lift Me Up. And I, I did say um, this is a song that's kind of quite new. Um, I'm not sure if I'll, I, I'm going to, I might be doing it myself, um, but uh, if you like it, see what you think.
that, that led to the whole union thing, putting the whole thing together, because they had this album, which they'd had a lot of trouble with. In fact, I think all the keyboard and guitar parts were replaced by the producer, and it wasn't a happy moment for that band. But uh, Chris, me, and Alan had uh, done it, and uh, we got John to come in and sing on it, and then I wrote a song, Miracle of Life, which went on that album. Yeah, another great one. And Yeah, and then I wrote a song, S Saving My Heart, mm -hmm. which was more kind of reggae-ish, uh, reggae-ish, poppy thing, and John just loved that, so we stuck that on. But those were the only things that were involved, and I never, ever, <clears throat> to this day, spoke to anyone about the record. They just took those three songs, put them on an album, and next thing they've gaffer taped this tour together. And uh, it's funny because whenever Rick talks to me about it, he calls it the Onion Record. Right. And I said, <laughs> you know, you you know the story, Rick. Why do you call it the Onion Record? It makes me bloody cry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, listen, we have that to, uh, to thank for the fact that you got together with Rick, right? I, oh, I mean, as 100%, I'm... 100%. <clears throat> yeah. AW so... was uh, my, my uh, that was my bucket list. I, I really want to play with Rick again. Yeah, I mean, I just bought Union on uh, on vinyl like a month ago. <laughs> oh, wow. How does it sound? Does it sound all right? It's pretty good. Yeah, it sounds good. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's as... I, I totally understand you guys as, as the band and the musicians on it feel in a certain way because it's sort of a mashed together record and, and yeah. you know, not what anybody envisioned. But as a, at the time, as a fan, not knowing, back, no internet, no, not knowing the story about it, it was like, oh, new Yes record, great. All my favorite musicians on it, great. I, you know, and it was like yeah. that at, at the time, you know what I mean? Well, I'm sure that was certainly Clive's thinking, uh, you know, and the promoters involved, but the the, the 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 worst moment i think i i hope for everyone was doing the uh, video for lift me up which actually wasn't a terrible video um but uh you know it was done in one day and every member of that band was in the video and there's three people playing on it and and me chris and john singing on it so it had nothing to do with the other <laughs> musicians so it's kind of peculiar and yeah and there's i don't Steve know that Blake. i've seen that i gotta look that up I oh yeah it's, it's oh, not yeah, great it's... but it's uh, considering that it was put together in two seconds and they you know it, it was like you guys have got to work together and it was like well it's probably uh, <clears throat> probably the right thing to do but it's it's just it's not a on bit, bit strange yeah yeah, Rick said to me, I'm happy to do this, because, but uh, it's not honest. It's not honest. Um, you know what's funny? As often happens on these podcasts where we pick top fives, we never pick the most famous song. And so, of yeah. course, we t we talked about 15 amazing songs without touching base, of course, about Owner of Only Heart. But, you know, what else is there to say about that song that hasn't been said already? And, and it's certainly one of the most popular songs of all time. I actually sent a few friends of mine a, a video I was in a, a random hotel. I had to stop over the night after a long drive. And I'm down at the, the it was like this small rinky-dink hotel. And I go down to get a, a water. It's like midnight. And what song is playing on the loudspeaker? I'm owner of a lonely heart. So I, I took a little recording. I'm like, this song is everywhere, no matter where you go. Um, oh, it's, so, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> and it's I, I must say, the one thing which was kind of 
really is strange for me is um, with the first time I heard it on radio, I was living in a <clears throat> place not, not far from here, a, a city called um, uh, <clears throat> oh God, Canoga Park. Hmm. Um, and we, I had a little house there and wrote a lot of stuff there. But I was lying at the pool, um, tiny little pool, but, and the doors were open. And I had this in the lounge, in, in the living room, I had this pretty crappy uh, hi-fi system. You know, when you get those hi-fi systems who, which sound terrible, but the speakers are massive, you know, they look great, but they weigh like, you know, six ounces or something, and they sound like crap. But I was lying and, I, and it came on the radio. It's the first time I heard it. And I thought, oh, God, we're in trouble. Just, <laughs> just didn't sound good on there. And then I started hearing it with driving in the car and stuff and then started making sense. And I actually got it was I, it, it almost felt like every time I turned the radio on, it was on, which wasn't the case. But because of, you know, it's, it's my song. I, it was it's just seemed to be there all the time. It feels like that today, you know, 40 years later, it's on all the time. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's still played. It's, it is amazing. Yeah. And, you know, I think back to writing it on the toilet where the acoustics were good. <laughs> That's and, it, and, and it's the one band that no cover band can really do justice because the sounds are so unique. Yeah. yeah no, it was, it was definitely, and I mean, in fairness to Clive Davis, when he first heard it, it you know, it had a similar character to, to the final, but uh, I can understand him. You know, he wanted things to sound like Foreigner, feels like the first time or something. Um, and it's really had nothing to do with that kind of thing. <clears throat> you were asked to join Foreigner at one stage, weren't you? You know, at one point, yeah, when I when I moved to America, I was on a development deal on uh, Geffen Records where I wrote a, a majority of the, the 901 to start five stuff and Geffen dropped me for various reasons, not a no, no controversy or anything. But um, I started uh, sending tapes out, and you know I just spent a fortune um, uh, in a st studio, and I didn't have a fortune. But for me, it was uh, you know I basically spent everything building a studio to record in, and I just moved to America, so everything moved over. And I thought, God, I I, I got to get a job. I got to I've got to do something. And then Matt Langer recommended me as keyboard player for Foreigner. Huh. And it, it was really wow. a sweet thing. Mick Jones, I went there, I auditioned with him in New York. And uh, he called me the next day and he said, uh, you know, if you want to do the gig, you've got it. But I just got listened to your album, the Wolf album. He said, I just listened to your album. He said, you should be playing guitar and you're not doing it in my band. <laughs> which was him just being very, uh, you know, very kind. Yeah. Um, and uh, I landed up not doing it. Uh, I can't remember what was said or what happened, but, oh, I, I know what happened. I, I got I got a reply from RCA, um, Ron Fair, on the demos, and he immediately said, this this is a smash hit on a Valoney Heart. He didn't even mention the other songs. And uh, he actually started cutting it together. And it was very close to me signing to RCA because of Ron Fair, because a great guy, a brilliant record guy. And, you know, he's gone on to do amazing things with the Black Eyed Peas and uh, mm. Christine Aguilera, I think he produced. But, uh, yeah, and that's why the 
foreign thing didn't go any further. And I, to, to be honest, I'm happy because I don't think I would have been too happy being the keyboard player in Foreigner for Absolutely. No, no, it all worked out way perfectly. I think everything is as it should be. Yeah, I think that's a good right. place to a uh, good place to end here. Of course, uh, Rio October six comes out. Uh, check out Big Mistakes and uh, and Push. I think is out now as well. Uh, guys, pre-order the album and and follow what's going on with Trevor Rabin. I think uh, there's more to come. Uh, Trevor, again, this is a treat for us. Uh, you know, we're so happy to have you back making music and to talk to you and everything. Um, and of course, uh, having you and Nick connect on, on all this was a lot of fun to hear you guys. Um, Absolutely. Let me say, let me say thank for... you, Trevor. And, and tot since you'll know what that means. Oh my God. I was just about to say that to you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thanks so much guys. All right, man. delight talking to you. Thank you. This was a blast. We'll, we'll be in touch soon. All right. Talk to you soon. All right, man. Thanks so Bye much. Too. Bye.